Hello and welcome to the Diverse Hub podcast. This week we have something a little bit different. I was asked to go and have a conversation with Dr. Ali Forbes in a session for her students and I thought it was worth sharing with you. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Ali. Okay, fab. So Adam, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, Our chat is going to feed into a session that I'm delivering on the importance of diversity and understanding unconscious bias. So can I just start with asking you to introduce yourself and the role that you do at the university? Oh yeah, thanks for having me, Ali, and hi everybody. My name's Adam Vasco. I'm the Director of Diversity and Inclusion in Professional Practice here in the Faculty of Education, Health and Wellbeing. And I suppose my job is split into almost three parts. Um, We look at issues around diversity and inclusion to do with our staff, and that includes things like closing, um, uh, closing, uh, pay gaps and ethnicity gaps and some of those things are uh, a whole host of, of issues certainly issues around students closing awarding gaps looking at um the, the the experience that our students have and then also the other part is going out into the sectors that we send people into that part professional practice really thinking about that in our faculty we send people out to be um physios to be teachers to be nurses midwives they go out into something they tend to come out qualified to do something um, and those sectors themselves have various issues around diversity and inclusion fab lovely thanks adam um so i wanted to start by asking you what diverse thinking means to you and why you Mm -hmm. think that's an important thing in the workplace yeah so uh, i I was delighted when you i was very pleased you sent me those questions in in advance so uh, you know diverse thinking or cognitive diversity depending on how we're, we're, we're thinking about and it for me this is about that variety of processes perspectives ideas and insights within any group or team or workforce um the concept really is bringing different backgrounds experiences and viewpoints together round the table leading to more um innovative and effective problem solving you know whether that's about um uh, innovation and creativity about problem solving itself adapting um understanding and serving a diverse market look the in critical race um, theory, we talk about um, convergence interest. So basically, people are interested in some of these things because, well, in some cases, because it, it you can monetize it. There is a reason why you see more diversity in certain things because we live in a diverse society. So appealing to those people um, is important. Um, but then, you know, from an inclusion engagement point of view, and uh, you talked about, and we will touch upon um, this notion of bias later, and you know, Ali, I will challenge the the, the um, terminology around that. But ultimately, yeah, it's about reducing bias as well. So that um, if we don't have a, a diverse workforce, I'm going to use the word bias for now and I'll come back later and, and interchange that. Without having that uh, divergent thinking um, or cognitive diversity, then that is where we're going to leave ourselves open to having one viewpoint, which is really going to play um, negatively to the idea um, of of bias and inequality. Mm. Fab, thanks, Adam. Um, 
So obviously we recognise that this is a, a real issue and there's a real value to having, mm. you know, bringing different voices together for a yeah. whole host of reasons, as you've, you've just alluded to. Um, I want to talk about kind of some best practice. What what are the ways that we can actually try and encourage that to happen? So um, the, the question I asked was, what are some of the best practices for creating a more diverse and inclusive workplace culture? And then how can organisations support employees to feel valued and respected? So first and foremost, it's a continuous process. So this is a job that was never done. It's not something you go, well, we've done that, we sorted that. It's got to be continuous. Now, um, some of this is quite boring, I'm afraid, because the answer is some of it is a little bit boring. So first and foremost, you've got to have commitment from leadership. Leaders play a critical role in setting the tone for an inclusive nature, uh, inclusive culture. Um, They should be committed to diversity and inclusion, articulate clear goals and hold themselves and others accountable for progress. Now, we can talk about leadership and and um, actually ensuring that our leadership is diverse. And yes, that's that's the aim. We have to get to that point. But actually, and we'll come on to this later on as well, this idea of allyship and um, is ensuring that if we are in those positions, that um, we ensure that there is that commitment. So if I, I give that an example of even our faculty at the moment, um, I, I can guarantee I, I promise you that Damien is committed to the to those particular um, things. He's committed to that. My role exists part though, entirely down to to him. I think, and so that then lends itself into this diversity of hiring practices. Um, now, this is really, 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 really tricky. You have to start to re um, involve rethinking things like job descriptions. Um, where and how you recruit it this is a minefield that i am um constantly really challenging myself on um how do you get and ensure a diverse applicant pool what are the some of the um hidden uh, pitfalls and traps into wondering why um we don't necessarily get the diverse talent now sometimes that is we're unpicking a lot of issues but it's important therefore that we go back and unpick and think about those things the thing that i said is is um boring is that policy is really important and i I really hate to sort of hammer home this because it's about as dull as it gets however if you do not have inclusive policies then you're stuck they are the framework that we work now policies after having to have those actually put into practice is a separate issue but you without the policy you can't hold people to account and you can't say that's what we expect so you do have to review and update policies to ensure they're inclusive i know these can be things like um flexible work policies parental leave for all parents um Benefits are inclusive of diverse family structures. They're just some ideas because I think one of the issues around diversity and inclusion and one of the criticisms of it as a a, a, sub, a genre as such is that it can water down because we're talking about all the protected characteristics and all those protected characteristics have very, very different um issues and of course there is an intersectionality to it so if you are a a muslim woman of color who has a disability then you are a lots of different of those those places um however 
I've always felt that when it comes to um, equality, diversity and inclusion, as long as we are really sure about what it is that we're challenging, then that's fine and seeing where those multiple lenses come on. So policies, being inclusive policies and looking through the lens of all those things is actually really difficult. You know, as I've just talked about, we need to consider things around gender, we need to consider things around um, ethnicity, we need to consider things around disability. It's, it's really, really difficult. Um, training and education is obviously huge. Um, it, without that train, without a commitment to it, this goes to the leadership thing. Without us having a commitment to uh, paying people with expertise and lived experiences to provide training and education, um, then employees are going to struggle. However, the other difficult bit to that is that we can't teach everything. If people are truly interested and committed to this type of work, and I would say that to your, your audience of students now, you have to do some independent study. That doesn't mean you have to read the most academic of texts, but reading books and reading articles and reading things around this, listening to the lived experiences of people is really, really important. Um, because I, I do genuinely think that most people um aren't trying to uh disadvantage other groups of people instead it just happens subconsciously because of other things and you know we come back to that unconscious bias bit in a little bit um yeah there's there's some and yeah i mean you could talk about measuring and reporting the other thing is to go back i'll finish on that point so in terms of diversity statistics um what are they and measure them properly um and look at them properly and really break them down what does that say um making sure that we don't fall into tokenism because that's a pitfall um but yeah creating a, a culture where all employees feel valued and respected really involves systemic change and ongoing commitment yeah thanks adam i think you touched upon um you know some really key things there um, yeah. and supervise nicely I think I know I know I obviously know your feelings about the terminology unconscious bias um but it's it's the terminology that's, that's yes. used generally so um how can we identify and address or try and address our own biases I've called them biases as opposed to unconscious yeah. bias. yeah um, so yes yeah, so what do we do get, to try and do that yeah so I suppose let me get the um the the elephant uh, out of the room first so my issue with the term unconscious bias is I think that it is a term that's been used for us to a get out of jail free card so it's a bit like oh it's not me it's my unconscious bias now the the it's actually sort of semantics that my my issue is all of us um have uh prejudice the that's why I think that's a more jarring word, but I think it's jar, and it, I think the jarring part of it is good. It's good to to go. Actually, yes, we do all have prejudice, uh, and now we either acknowledge that prejudice and um, we do something to challenge it, or we act upon it, and that's when we discriminate. Now, in terms of actually unpicking um, our unconscious bias or our uh, prejudices that we have. It's about being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and holding a mirror up to yourself. Now, part of that is is that we are we are all guilty of me massively. That's what I mean. All of us have them. Of we exist in echo chambers. We surround ourselves with people who are like us and have views like us, and that's fine. There's no no not saying that suddenly that has to massively change, but we have to be aware that if all we hear are people like that then we get more and more detached away from things so 
it's just been the coronation, big event. Do we think that members of the royal family can really understand what it's like for the average person? No, because they're so detached away from things. That's really difficult. Doesn't mean they're not good people. But for our own lives, that applies as well. If we only surround ourselves with people um, who have the same viewpoints, who um, look like us, um, then it tends to be that we are we are likely to have um, our viewpoints of other people then impacted by stereotypes. And those stereotypes are normally harmful in some way, shape or form. Now, the best examples I can give, you and I have done some work on uh, working with schools around gender bias and all those types of things. So the other side of it in terms of unconscious bias or prejudice is from an early age, we are taught all these different um, norms and uh, well, and we, unless we challenge them. So when we've looked at things with um, toys for, for children and we know that um, what we would consider, well, even the fact that we would consider that there is a, a toys for girls and, girl, and toys for boys gives us some type of idea of why do we think like that? Um, and so we have to start to unpick and challenge those things. You've done that um, that riddle before. Uh, that I'm not going to mention it in case it steals your thunder from there. But these are a highlight where we actually have um, bias. You know, ultimately, I, I talk about things and say, I went in sessions and say, right, I'd ask, ask you to picture um, a nurse. What does a nurse look like? Everyone tends to think of a woman. What does a doctor look like? Some people might think of a woman. Lots of people think of a man. And you can go on and on. What does a footballer look like? It, Ali, you're a footballer far better than, than I am. But a lot of people will, will make a judgment uh, of, of jumping to a male figure. You probably will be different, Ali, I, I, I suspect. And then if we want to be really, really uncomfortable, then if I ask, and I do tend to say this, what does a terrorist look like? And for lots of people in the room, um, particularly people uh, will jump to something that probably looks like um, Bin Laden, which is a, a terrible thing to happen, but it highlights the fact that that's what happens. Our brain makes these shortcuts really quickly and it makes them because society's put them in there. But we, it's prejudice, unconscious bias, you have to challenge it. Um, and being aware of it is the first thing. Why do I think like that? Why why do I make those assumptions? Um, and it's just important to unpick that thing. I think as well, the the media don't help then, do they, in terms of no. reinforcing, you know, actually reinforcing some of those stereotypes. So yeah. going back going back to going back to terror, if a if a white person commits a terrorist yeah. act, you know, there's lots of gun crime in America, for example. Yeah. They're never labelled. They're never labelled as terrorists. They're labelled as mentally challenged or no they're yeah they're a lone wolf or or anything else i mean in the sessions that i do around um uh, racism and we do a whole section around islamophobia and anti-semitism and and things where um it it's still racism even though we're talking around uh, around religions and again it's where it's very sticky and um it it starts to get a little bit complex but we talk about things around so um, I asked people if they've heard of the name David Copeland before. Now, David Copeland is responsible for um, some of the, the largest scale terror attacks in in this country um, in, late in the 90s, I think it's 1999, uh, put a number of nail bombs out targeting the gay community and Brick Lane and all around there. And it was repeatedly week after week, um, nail bombs going off. Now, the fact his name doesn't just ring out, we don't know who that is. 
Yeah, we are aware of, of other things that have happened that spring, spring to mind straight, straight away. Um, and I think even when it comes down to the media portrayal of things, now, uh, I tend to think it's a, a little bit more um, a little bit more sinister than it's just it's some unconscious bias or anything like that. However, there, there is a, a, a whole thing of that people do struggle when when they see someone who looks like themselves and this or, or belongs to the same groups that, that, that we do and something bad happens. We go out of our way to try and find out why has that happened? How can someone who have looked like me done something like this? And we almost go down that extra route to go, right, well, what would it like when they were younger? Oh, this happened. Whereas we don't do that for, for other people. And it, I'm not just talking about uh, when it comes to, to terrorism and those things, but when it comes to hiring for jobs, what are our assumptions? I mentioned before about working patterns. Um, I still hear now um, of people basically either hiding that they are pregnant when they're evol uh, applying for a job, or if you are of a certain age as a as a as a woman and you might not have had a family yet, are these big questions that come into play? Do they influence hiring practice? Unequivocally, the answer is yes. <laughs> they shouldn't do because legally they're not allowed to, but of course it does, um, and it, of course it does because we have inbuilt prejudices about what that actually means um and so it's it's challenging all that stuff is absolutely key yeah agreed um okay so what role then can people who don't fit within prote protected characteristic boxes so to speak yeah. what role can they play to try and empower others okay so this is a um it's I'm going to use some words and they, they all come with with a warning to them that, of that. Um, it's all it, the, the the intent is key. Um, so the the word ally, I walk around with a badge on my on my um, ID card that talks about um, uh, being an ally. An allyship is great. An ally is someone who supports and advocates for people outside of their own group, um, using um, our, the, that privilege to support others by standing up against discrimination supporting colleagues and promoting inclusive practice however to do that you have to be vocal um it isn't just about saying oh i'm an, an ally of that is actually really difficult because the more that you uh, find yourself claiming to be an ally and I speak from personal experience the more that you realize that in all the circles that you surround yourself in not to mention the some of the things that you've said yourself, because that's again the other thing. Um, and I, again, I'm talking about personal experience with this. You realise that you'll spend a lot of time challenging. And I swear, I'm challenging the shit out of a lot of nonsense, because a, a lot of it, so it really does mean standing up and and speaking out and speaking up um, for people and against issues, not being silent. Um, not being silent when ca casual sexism and misogyny is in place, not being silent when someone's used some homophobic language, not being silent when you've heard someone that's probably either using a microaggression or saying something a little bit racist. It goes on and on and on. Not being silent when you are asked to, as I've just done recently, asked to go and speak at something and you say, well, where's the event being held? It's not accessible. You've actually chosen to use it in a, in a pub. Now, get up there, I know that's light-hearted, light but actually that's going to stop a whole host of people from being able to attend and in order to be the best ally you have to be um more aware 
And to be more aware, you have to educate yourself. It's that you cannot just ask others in terms of workshops and training to do that. You need to listen to stories um, of other people. Realise that that one voice does not mean that they are representative of the entire group of people, that people have different experiences, all of which are valid and listen to those things. Um, yeah, amplification is massive. If we have a position uh, where we can use some of, uh, uh, um, of our privilege to amplify voices, we should we should do. And advocacy is, is really important as well. Um, advocate for policies and practices that support diversity and inclusion. That's really difficult because ultimately lots of people have benefited for 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 sort of too long Ali we've talked before about you know higher education what does higher education reward really um now it's difficult because what you have to do is for those people who are in those positions of power who have benefited from said system to challenge it um my my PhD title is the paradox of diversity. That's what it's around. Di diversity and inclusion is paradoxical in, it, in itself. My role is in itself because I, I sit within the systems and structures which are upholding the inequality, inequality that exists. Therefore, I have to do some of those things of advocate, amplify, be an ally, promote inclusion, listen and validate experiences and model inclusive behaviour. Um, they are the ways that all of us can make some change, but it's not easy and it requires us to get and keep coming back to this idea of being increasingly comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, it's not it's it's not easy. And I use the term again, jarring. It is when you are suddenly held um, up with a mirror that you realise, oh, actually, you know, I, I've, I've modelled some of that myself. Um, it's not particularly nice, but yeah it, it doesn't matter to make a change um it, it's gonna you know you're gonna have to get uncomfortable or don't be committed to that change but just be honest about that um i think the the worst sort of allyship is is performance um allyship where you are you know you're doing it for the clicks and the likes um rather than actually what is it what how is what you're ever you're going to do going to make a change um now it doesn't mean that you you know you're going to have to be taken to the streets all the time but it is really simple things and as a call to action i suppose that i always like to leave as something for people to to do is that i'd say to uh, people in your own friends and fun uh, uh, friendship circles family and friendship circles just be aware of and start to look around and, and listen where you find examples of sexism, misogyny, um, racism to a point that these overt people. Um, so the people who people like the the KKK or the uh, National Defence League, they are they are outliers. They're extremists. Who, they sit right on the outskirts skirts of things. The uncomfortable truth is they are not the reason why racism is upheld or um, you know, people who have extreme misogynistic views. They're not the reason why misogyny and sexism is still prevalent in society. The reason why they all are is because of normal, well-intended, good people like ourselves. And so actually we have to change from within to be able to um, to make that change. And it's too easy to look at, at, at extremes and go, oh, it's them over there. It's us, it's all of us. We all all do these things and to, to challenge and change that is hard.
but it's it's a worthwhile it's a worthy cause um and it yeah it's a worthy cause that's what i'd say so uh, my call would be to in your own circles where do you see these things and call it out when you see it um and the best way to call it out is when you are well educated on the subject like anything else if i was recommending one book i would um recommend nova reads the good ally um it's 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 just a fantastic book that's a a um a guide a guide to be from uh, bystander to uh, change maker now that's around anti-racism however um you could apply the principles to any particular protected characteristic and again it it does it it, it unsettles in a good way so that would be my call to my call to action perfect well adam i'm going to stop asking questions there because we've had 23 and a half minutes Sorry. Uh, so perfect <laughs> spot on with timing um let me stop the recording Thank you.